right, thank you so much. Okay, let's take our Bibles this morning and uh, let's do this. Let's go to the book of Matthew. We finished up recently with our study through the little book of Jonah. And since we finished up that book together, I've been back and forth on what to start preaching on, on Sunday mornings and been back and forth on should we be in the, uh, the Old Testament or the New Testament. And really what I like to do is we, if we've looked at a book in the Old Testament, we'll jump to the New and then from the New back to the Old and that kind of thing. But I've uh, been back and forth. What, sh- what, should, I, what should we do? Uh, should we preach on a, a Bible character together exclusively? Or should we look at a, a book of the Bible together? And of course, we're preaching the Bible, all right? Whatever we do, we're going to be preaching the Bible. But what exactly should we dive into and, and, and preach? And to be honest with you, I think you want your pastor to be honest, don't you? Three of you, all right. Be honest with you. I've been uh, agonizing a little bit over, over what, to, uh, what to preach. Because listen, I want to follow the Lord. I want to I do the right thing. I want to follow Him with, uh, as, he, as He leads through preaching and teaching of God's Word. Because it is highly, highly important. The Word of God, the teaching and preaching of the Word of God is one of the most important things we do as we gather together. Not because of me, I promise you that. There are thousands of better preachers and pastors than me. But the important part is the Word itself. And so I want to do the right thing. I want to go to the right book. And I want to study the right, right character. And so, with all that being said, if you'll bear with me, I believe we'll do two of those things together. Meaning, we'll look at a character of Scripture and a book or two letters, really, that bear His name. And that character in those books we're going to look at is the individual Peter and the first and second epistles that, that he wrote, all right? And how we'll kind of go about it as we look at this on Sunday mornings is we'll study the life of Peter briefly in, uh, in a few Sundays. And listen, a few Sundays, it's very brief because you can spend months on the life of Peter. But we'll spend a few Sundays briefly studying his life together and then we'll dive into letters that he wrote, and I think doing it that way will help us uh, get a better grasp of First and Second Peter, because there's a lot of testimony from his own hand in those letters that bear his name, and it'll help us grasp, uh, get a better grasp on it, and help us with the context uh, and uh, just overall help as we look at his at his life to begin with. All right, so as the Lord leads, uh, we'll do this. Y'all okay with that? Good. All right. So <laughs> that's what I think we'll do on Sunday mornings for a little while. So, let's jump right into it this morning and uh, first look at Peter's life and we'll start from the very beginning, uh, not beginning as in birth, but beginning as in we, when we meet up with Peter in the Word of God. So, we'll be in Matthew chapter 4, all right? Matthew chapter 4 and we'll read in verse 18 through 20 uh, together this morning, all right? So, Matthew chapter 4 and look at it with me in verse 18. And Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. Now I think to help us get a little more insight into this event and this moment of when Jesus comes to Peter and has Peter to begin to follow him in this moment and beginning of Peter's life and ministry with the Lord Jesus, I think it would help us to 
uh, gain more perspective on this beginning as we read the other accounts from the other gospel records, all right? Just so you know, these four gospel records are not separate records. Rather, they are four records looking at the exact same thing, okay? Same events, same gospel, but from another point of view. We've used this illustration before and we've talked about that, but it's like this pulpit you're looking at, okay? There are four sides to this pulpit. There are four gospels, right? You with me so far? All right. There's four sides to this pulpit. Now, what you guys see mainly is the front and these two sides. You see the, the three sides of it, mainly the front. And you can see the details on the front. There's a cross on the front there, some, some uh, detailed work in the, in the embroidery, em, embroidery work. It's a hard word to say. Uh, there in front of it there, uh, you may see some scars and some nicks and whatnot on their different sides, but you guys don't see my perspective of this pulpit. You don't see the angle that I have when, when I'm looking here in, in the back of this pulpit here. We have, some, have a one water bottle. They want me to finish early this morning. That's fine. Okay. And uh, a water bottle, some hymn books. There's some gum here because it's very important to have gum because I don't want to be offensive after I finish preaching. <laughs> you know. Anyway, uh, there's some songs in here. There's my amen sign and other things back here. You don't see that, but I do. But it's all connected to the same pulpit, right? The same with the Gospels. Connected to the same events, connected to the same people, but maybe it's a different angle as they're seeing it from their personal eyewitness or personal perspective. So putting all these gospel records together, listen, it helps to aid in a better understanding of the events that are unfolding as we read them. So when we look at this event to the beginning of Peter's ministry with the Lord Jesus, I think it'd be good for us to see what Mark and Luke have to say about it. And the Bible says in Mark chapter 1, if you want to make a, a, a note there beside Matthew 4, in Mark chapter 1, verse 16 through 20, it says this, Now as he walked by the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew his brother casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further thence, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who also were in the ship mending their nets, and straightway he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the ship with their hired servants and went after them. And again, another portion in Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11, is the same event. And the Bible says, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them. Or washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, let down your nets for a draft. And Simon answered and said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word I will let down the net. And when he had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net brake. They beckoned unto their partners, which were other ship, that they should come and help them. Again, who are the partners? As you know from uh, Matthew and Mark, and Mark, it would be John and James, right? The sons of Zebedee. But they beckoned to their partners to come help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. When Simon, Peter, saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he's astonished. He was astonished and all that were with him at the draft of fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. 
And again, even in John chapter 1, verse 40 through 42, that's the very first time it looks like that uh, Peter would meet up with Lord Jesus and it would be Andrew, his brother, that would bring him to, to meet the Lord. Uh, but all these things, putting all this together, you can notice there's a lot going on. Uh, Peter has already come to know Jesus and knows about the Lord. He has heard Jesus preach, no doubt. He's heard Jesus teach. Even in the context of Luke chapter number 5, surrounding the beginning of the ministry, he, he has come to, to know the Lord. He has already seen and even experienced himself the great power of God, the great power of the Lord with the draft of fishes. So he has come to know some things about Jesus already. But as we come to this beginning, when uh, Peter begins the ministry as one of the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to focus in on two things, all right? So I only have two points this morning. And the church said, don't, don't say it. I, now I'm not preaching tonight, so I'm going to make this one extra long. I may need another bottle of water, huh? No. There's two points to the message this morning. And it's two key things, I believe, that is important in the beginning of the ministry of Peter as he's one of the original first disciples of the Lord Jesus, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first one I want to see this morning is this. Number one, I want to see the Lord's calling. All right? Look again at verse number 18. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 18. And Jesus walking by the sea of Galilee saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishers. And he, that's Jesus, saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You know, when you take a external look at the disciples of whom Jesus chose, if you look at who they were, uh, if you look at what they did, if you look what they uh, even didn't do, but you take a look at these guys, I don't know if it were me or you, if we would have picked these fellows to be on our um, discipleship team, all right? I don't think we would assemble a team such as these guys uh, for, for us, because if you're thinking of turning the world upside down, I don't know if I want to pick them. Because these guys, after all, they were not some ready-made, top-shelf type of spiritual giants at all, especially in the beginning. Because think about these disciples. Think about Matthew for a moment. Matthew was a tax collector. And we know there's nothing spiritual about taxes. Amen. <laughs> he was a tax collector. Uh, he was a, uh, not just a tax collector, but he was a Jewish tax collector who worked for Rome. And that was the worst of the worst. Why? Because they would pad their pockets as they would take a little extra from the people of, of the land. And that's why even Zachar, Zacchaeus was a, was a man who was hated, hated at this time because he again was a publican. He again was the one who took taxes. And he even said that if he had taken anything from any man from by false accusation, he would restore fourfold. That's what the tax collectors did. I don't think much has changed since then, but anyway... But that's what Matthew was. He was a tax collector, and he was a hated man by many people. I don't know if I'd have picked him as on be on my discipleship team to turn the world upside down. Then you find Thomas. I mean, Thomas, after all, he was a man who was pessimistic. And I don't necessarily want somebody that's going to be around me all the time. It's always, you know, the glass is half empty. I don't know if this can be done. I don't think we can do this. He's pessimistic. He's a doubter. Look. I understand we've got to be real sometimes, but man, being that way all the time wears me slap out. I can't handle it. But that was Thomas. And then you have, you have James and John. These were individuals who were the sons of thunder. They wanted to call down, they wanted to call down a fire from heaven and destroy the people. It sounds like at times they could be a little brash, you know. 
And of course you have Judas, enough said, won't go any further than him, his name, the betrayer. And then you find Peter. Of course there's others, but jump into the man we're looking at, Peter. I don't know if I would have picked him. Yes, he was a hard worker. I mean, fishing at this time as your, as your occupation would have been very strenuous. Long days, long nights just to provide for your, for your family. He would have been a hard worker. But he's also very outspoken when he should have been silent. So could you imagine constantly cleaning up the messes he makes with his mouth? <laughs> and there's other times he was silent when he should have been bold. And that makes you feel betrayed. At times he failed the Lord miserably. Talking about Peter. And at other times, he was a bright beacon for Lord Jesus Christ. Peter was a man who was a roller coaster of emotions. And I just don't know if I would have picked him. Seems a little unstable from day to day. Don't know, don't know what you're getting from Peter today. I don't know if I'd have picked him. But... We see here in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus did. Jesus called unto him to follow him. And by the way, as I look ahead in Peter's life, I'm so glad the Lord called him. I'm so glad he picked him to be a disciple. I'm so glad. Because I can identify with Peter on so many levels, in so many different ways. And so it gives a man like me that stands before you this morning great hope as I study the life of Peter. Because even after his mistakes, his failures, his shortcomings, guess what? God still forgave him. The Lord still forgave him. And we'll get to it in John 21. He even restored him back to service and used him mightily once again. I'm thankful the Lord called him. I'm thankful the Lord picked him as one of the original Disciples, and there's no denying the fact as you look at these men in the very beginning of their life, you're like, oh, I don't know about these fellas. But at the end of it, you're like, oh, thank God. The Lord picked these, these men. There's no denying the fact that God used them mightily and especially, especially Peter. And it gives a man like me great hope. And by the way, Peter is known, uh, historically known as the apostle of hope. Because when we dive into First and Second Peter, you'll find that word often throughout the letters, the word hope. And so as I look at his life, again, it gives someone like me great, great hope. But just so you know, that's the Apostle Peter, a man who should give every one of us great hope. But as we look at the beginning of his ministry here with the Lord Jesus, when Jesus called out to him to follow him, I believe this. I still believe that the Lord is still calling people today to follow, to follow Him. And I want you to know something that is really amazing to me. Really it is. When you follow the Lord and you answer the call to follow Him, listen, it's an opportunity of a lifetime to accept that calling of God upon your life in whatever fashion that may be because God's will for your life and for mine is really a launch pad to adventure. It really is. Uh, no doubt these guys, when they were called of the Lord to follow Him, they never imagined they would stand on the day of Pentecost and preach the gospel and 3,000 be saved. Never imagined the mighty miracles they had witnessed and be experienced and God would use them to do the same, the mighty things God did with them and through them. They could have never imagined the adventure if they didn't accept the call to follow. You know, sometimes I think we get the wrong idea when it comes to the call of God 
on our lives when it comes to serving the Lord with, with our lives. You see, some think you have to surrender just to be a preacher in order to serve the Lord, or you have to surrender to the mission field in order to really serve the Lord, or certainly be a pastor, or you got to be a deacon in order to serve the Lord. And, and I'm for those things, by the way, because I are one of those things, all right? But uh, that's not necessarily the case in order to serve the serve the Lord. I've heard it many times. People, preachers would say, you need to surrender to full-time Christian service. And I understand what they're saying. I do get it. I understand what they're saying. They're, they're encouraging people to surrender, to, to preach, the mission field, those types of things. And again, I'm all for it. But this phrase of surrendering your life to full-time Christian service can be a little misleading. And maybe I'm splitting a little hairs this morning. If I am, please forgive me. But I think this, this phrase, you need to surrender to full-time Christian service, it can imply that the only way to fully serve God is by preaching or pastoring or missionarying. Just made that up. All right, but anyway. Well, that's the only way to fully serve the Lord, but that's not so at all. You can fully serve God right where you are. Understand, if you know Jesus as your Savior, God is calling you to be a full-time Christian. He is calling you to be full-time serving Him wherever you are. And it doesn't mean you have to be a pastor or an evangelist. It doesn't mean you have to be a Sunday school teacher or a deacon. It doesn't mean you're any less if you're not one of those things. Not at all. God wants every single one of us that knows Him as our Savior to be full-time Christians. By the way, there's no part-time Christian anyway. That's not how it works. There's no, I'm a Christian on Sunday, but not on Monday. That's not how it works. And if you do operate that way, it's called hypocrisy. And people see that especially the ones that you live close with. And if that's how we live our lives, guess who wants no part of your Christianity? Your kids, your grandkids. Let that soak down in deep somewhere and understand that great truth. Well, there is no such thing as a part-time believer, a part-time Christian. God is looking for full-time believers to serve Him fully and faithfully. We're not called to see it. We're not called to just, to just sit around and do nothing. No, we are saved. We are called to serve. And we serve faithfully every single day, no matter where we are, no matter if you're the pastor or preacher or not, or a missionary or not, we are called to serve God faithfully. But do we hear the call? That's the question. Because God is still calling people to serve. God is still calling people to himself. He is. Listen, do you see the multitudes of opportunities that God gives you every single day as you, as you go throughout your day and throughout your week to serve Him? Because they are there. Dozens, if not hundreds, of opportunities to serve God every single day at work, at the restaurant you attend, at the store you go to, at the gas pump. There's all kinds of ways to serve the Lord. And there's all kinds of ways to serve the Lord at home. To serve your spouse, serve your children. And by the way, it's the greatest opportunity we have to serve the Lord is within the context of our, of our home. But God wants us to serve Him. He is calling us to serve Him. But the question is, are we listening? Again, look at it in, in Matthew chapter number 4 and verse, uh, verse number 19. And He saith. Who's, who said it? He is who? Jesus and he saith, Jesus said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. 
It wasn't just Peter that day he was talking to. He said to them, it's plural. He said, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. The Lord wants us to follow him. He is calling out to us to follow, to follow him. You know, sometimes people get the idea that the most miserable person on earth is, is the individual that doesn't know the Lord. Now, that is tragic to me. It is. The individual that doesn't know Jesus Christ as Savior, I think, is a very, very tragic life to live. But on earth, it's not the most miserable life. Hear me out for a minute. I believe the most miserable life an individual lives on earth is not the person who doesn't know God, but it is the person who, do, who does know God yet does not follow God, does not serve the Lord, is out of fellowship with God. That's the most miserable person on earth. You know, as we get to 1 Peter, Peter, he calls to, or writes to the individuals, he says the ones that are strangers scattered abroad. You know, we're strangers here, right? Earth is not our home. As the song goes, we are just passing through. Oh, we are strangers. And by the way, the world looks at Christianity as that's strange. And I'm looking at some of y'all, and y'all are just, str- never mind. But anyway, so, <laughs> I got to behave, I'm sorry. But we are strangers, and they look at us as strange. They look at our values as, as strange. Like, you still believe that? Isn't that like so old-fashioned that, you know, one man and one woman married? Like, that's so weird. That's weird. No, it's not weird. Biblical, it's right. But in the world's eyes, it's strange. This world is not our home. We are pilgrims and strangers here. But if you try to make it, you you try to make it your home as far as you drive your tent stakes, as the old preacher would say, deep down into the, the earth of this world and not serve God, you're going to find yourself pretty miserable. I heard a testimony one time of a man, a very wealthy businessman, who, who gave a testimony to a number of teenagers one day. He said, you are looking at one of the most miserable people on earth. They were like, uh, but we just saw that brand new vehicle you had out, outside in the parking lot. We know you own this business, that business. You just told us you're a multimillionaire, and you're telling us you're the most miserable, miserable person on earth. I'd like to try that misery. Hey, Amen. <laughs> So I know you're looking at the most miserable person on earth. We're like, what are you talking about? He said, because when I was your age, God was calling me to serve on a mission field, but I would not listen. I had my own plans. I wanted my own thing. I, went, I want to make my own money and be my own man. And I did. I made money. I made fame. I made a name. But as a saved individual who rejected the call of God, he was miserable. So I believe that can be one of the most miserable people on earth is an individual, a believer, a Christian who knows what God wants for his life, wants, knows the Lord, but doesn't, doesn't, doesn't heed the call. That can be one of the most miserable people on earth. But Peter, when he heard the call to follow, he answered that very call. And I guarantee you as, you, as we look at his life, you will see it is one he never regretted did he find himself in some very uncomfortable places? Yeah, that's saying it lightly. Absolutely he did. But not one time would he ever say, I regretted answering the call. 
Listen, I believe today there's still, there's still people God is calling to serve Him. And if He's calling you to serve Him, answer the call and follow Him and serve Him. So we see, number one, in the beginning of the ministry and life of Peter, God was calling. Jesus called him. All right, number two, we want to see this. Look at verse number 20. And they straightway left their nets and, what's that word? And followed him. So number two, Peter followed. Jesus called, Peter followed. And I love this word that comes before, uh, about the, the third word there in verse 20. I love this word that comes before it, uh, but it says straightway. I love this word straightway here. It means immediately. It means without hesitation. It means there was no waiting. There was no delay. No lagging behind. Straight way. They followed. Peter, when asked of Jesus to follow him, he without hesitation, without a second thought, without looking back, Peter left his nets and followed the Lord Jesus. Again, uh, Luke uh, puts it this way in Luke 5.11. And when they had brought their nets to land, I'm sorry, their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. They forsook all. And then later Peter would admit even the same in Matthew chapter 19 verse 27 as he's speaking to Jesus. He said, then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. Just understand, this, this, this moment here when they forsook all, this forsaking would have been a very big deal. And maybe it'd help us to get a little, little um, understanding of what they left on the shore that day. Uh, they left their livelihood. What do you mean? They left their boats. They left their nets. The multitude of other fishing gear that they would need for, for their business and for their livelihood. Uh, this was no small feat. All this stuff would have been very, very expensive. It would have been very laborious and whatnot to own your own business at this time, especially when it came to be a fisherman. And all this stuff was very expensive. The same today. Even the professional fishermen. <laughs> I like bass fishing. Most of y'all know this by now. But these, these guys, I'm telling you, when you pass them on the road going down the interstate, that truck and that boat and everything they have in it, you're probably looking upwards of $200,000. Yeah, that's what I said. I'm like, there goes somebody's house. Oh, my goodness. You know? It's amazing. I mean, these, it's, it's incredible how expensive that stuff is. But that, that had been no small feat for these guys to leave all of this and to follow, to follow Jesus. But, but how did he do it? He did it straightway. <laughs> he did it without hesitation. He did it, he did it immediately, no lagging behind. He wanted to. Why? Because when Peter heard the call, his value of life and everything that surrounded his life, the value of it all, though it may look very expensive, it changed. It changed. Yes, his stuff was valuable. Yes, livelihood was valuable. But the Father, the Lord, to follow the King of Kings was more valuable than anything this world could ever offer to Peter. It's more valuable. You know, there are many believers who are fully aware of God's call on their life, and yet they stop short of following the Lord. They, they stop short from following the, the Lord. They, what do they do that? Why do we do that from time to time? I don't have all the answers to those whys, but in the short amount of time I've been in the ministry, I've noticed a few things from individuals on the reasons they give of why I'm not going to follow the Lord. And some of those reasons are these. Number one, they don't follow because of fear. They don't follow because of fear. Because they fear what some may think. 
They fear what people may do. We fear man more than we care to admit. Did you know that? The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoso puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe. And after all, this happened to Peter a couple of times. You can find that in Luke chapter 22, verse 54 through 62. And the Bible says, Then took they him, Jesus that is, and led him and brought him into the high priest's house. And Peter followed afar off. When he had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And he, that's Peter, denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also one of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of one hour after another conflict affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he's a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately while he spake, the cock crew, and the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. But listen, Peter... He denied the Lord. He quit following the Lord in this moment, followed afar off. Why? Well, in short, because of fear. He was afraid maybe he would be the next one to suffer that awful scourge of the Roman hand. Or he would be the next one to, to suffer the hatred, vitriol of the people as he cried out, crucify. Maybe he would suffer that cross that Jesus was about to be led to. I don't know exactly, but we know this, he was afraid. And then you can find in Galatians chapter number 2, even after Pentecost, even after all these great things God had used him to do, you still find him operating at a time in fear. In Galatians chapter 2, he was uh, behaving himself, the Bible talks about, hi hypocritically. But why did he do that? Because he feared them that were of the circumcision, meaning them that were Jewish individuals from Jerusalem that came down to Antioch as Peter was eating with, dun, 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 the Gentiles, right? The Jews and Gentiles, at least in the Jews' mind, had no dealings, but Peter was eating with them but because he feared them. He withdrew himself and separated, the Bible says. Why? Because he feared them. Fear causes us to do some very foolish things, and one of those things is to stop following the Lord. Do you remember what happened with the Hebrews when they came to the Red Sea and they saw the Egyptian army pursuing them in Exodus chapter 14 and verse 10? The Bible says, and when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and beheld the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. What did they begin to cry? Oh, what is it not better for us to live in Egypt? There are not enough graves in Egypt. They had to bring us out to here. What they wanted was this. They wanted to go back. They wanted to stop following. Not just Moses. They weren't just following Moses. Was he their leader? Yes, but they were following. They were following the Lord. But in, because of fear, they wanted to retreat. They wanted to stop all progress because they were afraid. And fear will do that. Fear will stop you in your tracks. It will cause you to want to go back. Here's what the psalmist said about that event in, in, in uh, Exodus. But the psalmist said in, verse, in 106 verse 7, Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. And all that happened, this provoking rebelliousness happened there at the Red Sea. Why? Because of fear. And just for clarity's sake, when we're talking about fear, I'm not talking about the common sense fear that God gives to us like when you see a snake. When you see a snake, you do what? 
I heard a lot of good answers. The one that I was looking for is you give your wife the shovel and your wife the shotgun. She'll take care of it for you. Amen. All right. No, but you run from that nasty thing. Get it out of here. I know there's some people say there's good snakes out there. The black snakes kill the bad ones. That's fine as long as it stays away from me. All right. But most good snakes that I've ever seen have been dead. But anyway. But I'm not talking about that common sense type of fear. The fear I'm talking about that will halt our following, that will stop our following the Lord is this fear, the spirit of fear that Paul talks about to young Timothy when he says this, 2 Timothy 1 7. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. So God doesn't give us that type of fear, that spirit of fear. I believe that spirit of fear easily can come from the devil himself. Why? Because that's how he operates. The devil puts people in fear. This is how he controls people by fear. He operates in that realm. Puts people in fear. And when, when sheep, which by the way, the Bible compares Christians to sheep. When sheep are afraid, they do some dumb things. I remember one day, Brother Rob, you had, we, I think it was a VBS, and you had a, a, one, of your, one of your sheeps here, whatnot. I don't remember it was a farm, farm type of... Uh, VBS uh, uh, we had. Anyway, and a, a little limb fell out of the tree beside that sheep and it scared it to death and started beating itself against the cage. I'm like, what are you doing? He's trying to escape. Why? He's afraid of that limb. Oh, that was dumb. You know, we do some dumb things. Sheep do dumb things because of fear. That's the kind of fear I'm talking about. And the spirit of fear has stopped many a believer from following the Lord. It's happened to Peter. It happened to all the other disciples, because at one time, they too, they all fled and forsook the Lord. But that type of fear only happens, listen, when we have a small view of God. What do you mean by that, preacher? What I mean by this, by that is this. You come to an instant in your life, and you're like, oh, I don't know about this. That seems quite um, scary, and maybe it is. Whatever, I'm being very vague, I know, but whatever that event or in your life that seems scary, whatever it may be, you come to it and say, like, I don't know about this. This is, this is just it's too hard. It's nothing can, it just can't, this thing will work out. Whatever it may be, if you start believing that, I'm being kind, but your view of God is a little bit too small. Because if your view of God is this, there's nothing too hard for the Lord. Or, your view of God is this, nothing is impossible with the Lord. That's a big view of God and the right one. But we have a small view of God that, I don't know if God can do this. No, I think this is even too hard for the Lord. That's a very small view of God. And you'll be put into fear. And you will operate and respond in that spirit of fear. But if your view of God is greater, then you will agree and even echo what the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 13, verse 6. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, 6. We need a bigger view of the Lord. Where do you get that view? Well, you get it by putting your face in a book. Putting your face in the Word of God and seeing there's nothing too hard for Him. Seeing that all things are possible with the Lord. Your view of God, your opinion of the Lord begins to grow greater and greater and stronger and stronger. But why do people come short so many times of following the Lord? Well, some will say, well, they're just too afraid. 
Others will say, well, I'm just not good enough. I can't do it. Well, listen, none of us are good enough, all right? Again, remember with these, these disciples, it, I don't know if we'd have chosen these fellows, but God did. I can tell you one thing, in the very beginning, I promise you, they were not good enough. There's no way that Peter in Matthew chapter 4 could preach Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. There's no way. So what, what was the difference? Well, God made them ready. God made them usable. And that's how it works. Look again at verse number 19. And he saith unto them, Jesus speaking, follow me and I will, what's that next word? I will make, I will make you fishers of men. There are no self-made godly servants of the Lord. No, no, no. Our sufficiency in ourselves to produce success or produce spiritual fruit or whatever it may be, it's not us, but rather it's God in us. As the Bible says, it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's the Lord that does the work in us and through us to make us usable for His glory. And no doubt many people in your life have had an impact spiritually in your life one, one way or another. And if they have, listen, it wasn't them. It was the Lord in them working through them to reach you. It's the Lord. So some folks say, I can't follow the Lord. Man, I, I just can't do it. I, I'm not good enough. Well, of course you're not. But God can use you if you'll let Him use and then there's others that stop short of following the Lord because they say this. I've heard it. I just can't do it. I can't follow the Lord. Well, why? Well, you just don't know my past. Okay. I don't need to know your past, nor am I going to dig and ask about your past. But many people will come short in this area of following the Lord because they'll say, well, because of my past. I'll give you a little testimony myself. I was saved at 16 years of age. I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to save me, called upon His name to save me. And God began to change my life from the inside out. I had a desire to go to church. Nobody had to tell me I had to go to church after I got saved. I wanted to. <laughs> I had a desire to read the Bible. Nobody said, now that you got saved, read the Bible. I wanted to. No one told me this. I wanted to read it. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that they may grow thereby. I wanted the Bible. I wanted to go to church. But then got around some wrong people. Began to slip here, slip there. Little ways, you know. My attendance at church began to slip. My faithfulness to reading the Bible began to slip. Little things began to slip here and there. I'll spare you the details. A lot of things in my life I wish I'd never done. Until I was 20 years old. As a place I shouldn't have been, I was looking around. I said, there's got to be more to life than this. And I left that, that place and began to go to church the, next, the very next week. And after some time, God began to work in my heart and began to call me to full-time ministry as far as preaching goes. Called me to preach. And I surrendered my life to follow the Lord in that area of preaching. Preach the Bible. 2004. And as I began to do so, follow the Lord and, and preach the Bible and have different opportunities to do so, it would seem that Satan would bring up my past often. My past failures, my past sins. And as I was thinking on my past and thinking on what God has called me to do, I began to think, you know, I can't do this. 
There's no way God can use me. There's no way that I can move forward with the Lord and follow Him in a close relationship. Why? Because of my past. Now, let's be honest with you. I needed help badly. And it came one morning. After an evening of agonizing over this very thoughts of the past and what I had done, but it came that morning as I got up and got upon my knees and asked God to speak to my heart from the Word of God because I needed it desperately. Desperately that morning. And I don't exactly encourage people to read the Bible this way, but what I did is said, Lord, I need something from you this morning. I need it so desperately I can't stand it. Another day to go through this such guilt and other things in my life from my past. I need something from you. I'm going to open up to a portion of Scripture. I'm going to close my eyes, open the Bible, and begin to read. Now, that's not exactly how you read and study the Bible, all right, but that's what I did that morning. And so as I opened the Bible, laid it upon my bed, I began to read. And I came across these verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. The Bible says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor infinite, nor abusers themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Well, that's encouraging. <laughs> Got to that point, I'm like, all right. Oh, dear Lord. Okay, well, you gave me my answer. I, I'll finish reading this portion of Scripture, and then I'll, I'll, I'll give up the call, the call to preach. As I begin to continue reading, the Lord help me. Because in verse 11, it says this, And such were some of you. But you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And after I read those verses, I began to weep and just praise the Lord there in my bedroom. Understanding that the guilt of my past was not being brought up by God because I'd already asked for forgiveness. I'd already asked God to help me and forgive me of my past sins. And so the guilt of the past that was being brought up was not because of God. You know why? Because He don't remember those past sins that you've confessed and have been forgiven. Because the Bible says in Hebrews 10, 14 through 17, for by one offering He hath perfected, uh, perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and their minds. Will I write them? And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. So the sins that were brought up from my past, that I already asked for forgiveness to God to cleanse me of, that wasn't being brought up by God. Guess who was, being, who was bringing that up? It was the devil. Because your past sins that are forgiven, the Lord never brings back up. You've got to understand the difference between guilt and conviction. Yes, the Holy Spirit brings conviction to correct us, but the devil will put guilt upon your shoulders and your head to push you down and push you low. I'm thankful we serve a God who forgives us of our sins who cleanses us from all unrighteousness and gives us new starts and new beginnings. Yes, His mercies are new every morning. I'm thankful. You may have a checkered past and you've just recently gotten saved or gotten right with God. But all that is under the blood and it's forgiven. It's washed away. 
Even as John the Baptist said one day, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. That was something new to new the ears of the people that day. They were used to a covering for a year from that, that lamb that was sacrificed day in, or I'm sorry, year in and year out at the day of Pentecost. But the new lamb, the lamb of God that came that day, came to take away the sin, wash it away forever. So let me ask you, what is stopping you from serving the Lord? I can give you a quick answer. Ain't nothing can stop you if you want to follow the Lord. God, I believe, is still calling out to believers and the Christians to serve Him in a specific way. Yes, even as we say in a, a way as far as preaching, pastoring, missionary, whatever, I believe it wholeheartedly. God is still tugging on people's hearts and minds to do just that very thing, even from our own congregation. And I want to encourage you to yield to the call and follow Him. But day in and day out, every one of us need to follow the Lord. You know, the first call that the, these disciples had was really to call, He called them to Himself, to be with Him. And that's something we all need to do day in, day out, every single day, just be with the Lord and follow Him. Don't let any excuse stop you from doing that. Don't let fear stop you. Don't let the past stop you. Follow the Lord. I promise you, I promise you, when you get to heaven, you'll be so glad, so glad you did. That's a regret that Peter no doubt never had of following the Lord. He didn't regret that one bit. Other regrets, oh yeah, we'll see some. As we look at his life, but this will never. And that's why we come to the beginning of, of his life and ministry looking at this very foundational thing of his following the Lord. It's a very triumphant start for, for this man. And listen, it's be a very triumphal start for you today as well to follow the Lord. But one question and we're